parenting seminar. Uh, so I get the privilege of introducing our speaker tonight, uh, Robert Dodson and his wife, Tracy. So I want to tell you a little bit about who you'll be hearing from this weekend um, in just a second. But beforehand, uh, we've got a lot prepared this weekend. Um, as you came in, hopefully you received a little booklet, which I didn't bring one up with me. Did everybody get one of those? Okay, so that kind of gives the layout for what we're about to get into the next few days. So we've got um, really four teaching sessions, one tonight and three in the morning. And then after lunch tomorrow, we'll be a lot more interactive and question and answer and plenty of time being saved for that. So hopefully you came with a lot of questions. Um, my wife and I have four kids, age 6 to 15, and we know the challenges of parenting. We're in the thick of it and really looking forward to this wisdom. But we came with a lot of questions and um, looking forward to get some answers from the Dodsons and from the Word. But those questions are really important. So, and we want to collect your questions, even if you think about them later tonight or on your drive home, um, and, and get those questions from you to make sure that we get everybody's questions answered tomorrow. So uh, on the back page of that little booklet is my cell phone number. And you are welcome anytime throughout tonight or tomorrow morning to text me any questions. Um, or you can email them to me. Uh, I did not include that email. Um, but text me, and I'll reply with the email if you have a long question <laughs> that you want to email to me instead of text. Um, and then just be thinking of those. We really want to spend time on that. I think that's where Robert does some of his best um, work or speaking is through some of that just down-to-earth uh, question interaction time. Um, and then if you do have questions and if we have time at the end of each session, um, we encourage you to, to bring those. Um, I'll pass around a microphone at the end of some of the seminars, but we encourage you just, we don't need your whole life story. We don't need all your kids' friends' names and all the specific details of what's going on in their life situation, but if you could just boil it down to the main point of your question that would apply to more people than just you in the room, that, that will help us get you good answers. Uh, we've got Full Belly Deli for lunch tomorrow, and some generous couple in our church have also provided continental breakfast, so that's great. Come with... Uh, the, got cinnamon rolls and donuts and juices and then full belly deli. So um, that, that'll be great tomorrow during lunch. Your kiddos are getting taken care of. I think we have seven or eight volunteers over there watching them tonight and all day tomorrow. Um, so be sure to thank them for the time that they're putting in over there so that you guys can be over here and focused. Um, and Oh, and we have a book table. So there's a couple books. There's so many books on parenting, um, but we've boiled it down to a couple, some of our three favorites, and um, there seemed to be a theme I noticed on the books, which was um, parenting, <laughs> but Tripp, <laughs> Paul Tripp and uh, uh, Ted Tripp, who are just really, really great writers. And uh, so there's two books by him, one for younger children, one for more teenage children, and then there's another book back there called The Faithful Parent that's for sale as well. 
um, which has a forward by Ted Tripp. So <laughs> it seems that they're quite popular in the parenting world, and there are, and they're great, and we've benefited a lot from them. Um, so I think that's it. But yeah, please, please make sure with those questions, um, if you want to text me anytime, and I'll kind of summarize those and get them out tomorrow afternoon. Um, so a little bit about Robert. Um, Robert and Tracy have been married for 31 years. They have five kids, four of which are adopted, and two are married, and they have two granddaughters, which you'll see some pictures of in a second. Um, Robert has been an elder at Faith Bible Church in Marietta for 18 years, and he's also uh, founder and owner of Sports Tech, which is a medical distribution company um, that sells medical devices to uh, medical workers and hospitals. So. He's what some people call bivocational. He's not a full-time pastor or speaker or preacher, but he's definitely called by the Lord and has a lot of wisdom. And um, I can tell you we've benefited a lot from them and their family. Um, although they've formally adopted four children, I would kind of maybe tack my wife on there <laughs> as a fifth um, that they've sort of adopted spiritually for sure, if not um, legally. Uh, she and I both come from broken homes, and when Rachel, my wife, was in high school, they were um, some of the high school staff leaders and just took her under their wing, taught her the gospel, and just were a tremendous influence and mentors. Um, Tracy, if you think of the older women teaching younger and Titus too, she's been a great example of that. And both my wife and I grew up around them and just learning parenting in their living room. And um, it's something that, you know, we thought about that we definitely wanted to be able to share um, with you guys here today. So um, Robert was in my wedding. Um, in fact, when I went to propose to my wife, I even ran it by him, kind of asking his permission as the father figure in her life. So we're really close in that sense. Um, one of my first impressions when I came down to their house, I thought I blew it because I was, they have a backyard swimming pool, and I went to jump in the pool and broke the diving board. <laughs> so I was literally swimming in deep water and <laughs> thought there was no chance, um, but it still happened. Um, so they, it's, it's really exciting to be here, and one just passage I thought of in introducing, um, in First John it talks about um, he addresses uh, my little children and young men and fathers, and it's kind of a maturity scale there of, of development in a spiritual life. And the thing about fathers is that fathers don't just know the word, they've lived it. There's an added level of faithfulness with a father or a father figure spiritually to where Young men might know the word and have that knowledge, but until you've lived life and gone through trials and gone through those experiences, and you can say with conviction from the heart, both I know from the word who God is and his faithfulness, and I know from my life who he is and his faithfulness, that's when you've kind of arrived at that place of wisdom. And so Robert knows the word, but also has those parenting experiences and being an elder in his church, um, shepherding people through a lot of situations that I'm sure you guys have gone through. Um, and that's what he's going to bring today. So 
really excited to have Robert um, come on up and share the word and share your wisdom. Yeah. Should, I be, should I be up here? Should I pull that down? Well, it is so good to be here. The last time uh, Tracy and I were here, we visited once in the summer, and it was when Wayne was in the hospital with COVID, and I think you guys were under some heat on social media for meeting and gathering and all of that stuff. So we showed up for the service, and I think we were one of like four people groups in, in here while Jesse was preaching. So it is so good to be here, um, and, and what a blessing. I'm so thankful. I love this church just because of the impact it's had on the Drawlingers and seeing them thrive in this environment is just awesome. So, so good to be here and, and thrilled to have it. I, John did mention, Tracy and I have been married for 31 years. Um, I way over-married. So thankful for her, thankful for her wisdom. Um, and this is, next one is a picture of our family. So if you look, on the left is our son, Nathaniel, who, so John mentioned we adopted four out of our five. He was our biological surprise. He's now married to Kenzie. Then it's our daughter, Danielle, who's number four. Number five, who's taller than her, Stephanie. Um, then Tracy and I, our son, Sammy. And then that's our older daughter with her husband, James. And the two most beautiful uh, granddaughters that we just adore. You can go to the next picture. That's our group, but th- these last ones are the most important. If you can show the next one, this is us with our grandkids. I'm telling you, grandparenting is the greatest thing we've ever done. So all of you in the midst of parenting and all of that stuff, it is the greatest. And one more slide. It's just the best. I'm telling you, we come in, they run up to us, and, and there is no greater joy And John had mentioned Rachel. There's one last slide up here. (laughs) Rachel was in our world, around our kids. She is like a pseudo child. Um, We just love her to death. And I had to start off. By the way, Rachel is very close to her mom. I'm sure you've met her. She's wonderful. We just came into a time and a season when Rachel was uh, um, just dove into our youth group. We met her at 13, and she showed up and came to a camp. And I just had to tell you, she was one of the most unique Uh, young girls I've ever met. And we did have the privilege of kind of being her spiritual parents. I did get to talk to John when he came and sat me down in my office with a list of questions, and I got to go through that with him. Uh, But the fun thing about having Rachel in our lives is she was older than our kids. So really for us, we were able to practice on her. She didn't know it, but she was a guinea pig. And whatever quirks Rachel has, we were learning, right? We didn't know. But I had to tell you a couple funny things about Rachel. First thing, we took her one time to Chicago, and uh, we wanted some adult time. So we said, kids, you're all going to bed, and that includes you, Rachel. And she was appalled because she's eight years older than the other kids. But this, the, our niece, Christine, was so excited to have Rachel go to, in a room and sleep with her. But Rachel was so upset about having to even be in the room with the kids at the same time being older. She literally went in the room. She obeyed this much. She went in the room but kept her head out the doorway just to prove I'm older. I don't have to go all the way in. So she sat in the room doing that. We had another time we were doing, we lived at a lake and we'd go uh, wakeboarding. We'd take some of the youth kids wakeboarding and Rachel showed up and came strolling down the dock and showed everybody. She had these brand new glasses, just got them like $60, right? Expensive for a high schooler. She's got them on her head. All the kids are swimming, so she's showing everybody, look at my new glasses, da-da-da, everybody's swimming, so she decides, all right, go. She takes off her sweat, she had her bathing suit on, and goes running to the dock, and in typical Rachel fashion, hits 
and does a flip, forgot the glasses were on her head. So as soon as she flipped, the glasses went flying into the water, gone forever. And that was Rachel's experience with that pair of glasses. I would also tell you one other fun thing is she walked to the door. I'm seeing life full circle because before we came, Rachel's asking Tracy, my wife, if clothes are cool. Like, can I wear these clothes? And I hear my wife saying, yeah, Rachel, those are in right now. And I'm sitting there going, wait a minute. This is like otherworldly because Rachel in our life would come over and Tracy one time had, with a floral, like floral leggings and a long sweater and Rachel came and visited, it came to the house to do stuff, and Rachel opened the door, or Tracy opens the door, and Rachel goes, what are you wearing? And Tracy says, what? She goes, you didn't go out like that, did you? And, and so Rachel ushered Tracy from the 80s into the 90s, and I'm now watching Tracy usher Rachel from the 210s, I don't even know what you call it, into the 20s. It's come full circle, so I love it. You know what, let me pray, and then we'll begin our time. Father, thanks for tonight. Thanks for the privilege it is to open your word, Lord, that we can look at what scripture clearly tells us, Lord, as we all desire to uh, be the best parents we can be. We all desire to see our kids grow, Lord, to love you, and that's what we always hope for. I pray tonight as we open your word that, Lord, you would help us to see clearly what scripture teaches us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I did want to say, too, we are by no means experts. We are by no means perfect in how we parented. We have had five, diff- five kids, five different personalities. We've had all different types of schooling that we're coming to you kind of saying, hey, we've, we have experiences that we'd love to talk to you about, but the Word of God is clear on what we are to do as parents. And, and tonight we're going to look at Ephesians. The four sessions John talked about is tonight we're going to look at marriage and family. Tomorrow morning we're going to look at what is successful parenting How do we define that? How do we know what successful parenting is? Thirdly, we're going to look at boys to men. And fourthly, we're going to look at girls to women. So this is the first of four. And I found a couple quotes. And by the way, we're all over the map here. We're kind of focusing on that middle school, high school ages right now. Um, But it's a target if you've got young families. This message on Ephesians totally applies to you. And it's going to be really good stuff, I hope, that you look at going into the future. So I am kind of focusing on those middle school, high school years, but it's totally relevant to everybody. So a couple quotes I found on what it is like to be parents of teenagers. Raising teenagers is like nailing jello to a wall. Welcome welcome to being a parent of teenagers. Prepare for large amounts of eye rolling, emotional outbursts, and thoughts of running away. And wait till you see how your teenager behaves. When your children are teenagers, it's important to get a dog. At least someone will like you. (laughs) Adolescence is a period of rapid changes. Between the ages of 12 and 17, for example, a parent ages as much as 20 years. (laughs) And lastly, adolescence is perhaps nature's way of preparing parents to welcome the empty nest. Listen, we're also in a season, you guys, of COVID, right? And, And their worlds are rocked. High school is not normal. What's happening in the world? We're watching. If you're watching the news and all of that stuff, you know, you as a parent sometimes might be thinking, what are my kids facing? What are these teenagers facing? And I guarantee you, the anxiety in their age group is huge already. Now add the world and all that's happening. It's tenfold what it used to be. But if I can encourage you this, listen, you look in the book of Esther, 
when Esther was born, and if you remember, they, said to es- they, they talked about Esther, and, she, and they said she was born for such a time as this. Your kids were born perfectly when God planned, regardless of all that's happened in the world, and the Bible stands true forever, right? So the principles in Scripture are crystal clear regardless of the chaos happening in the world. And we have the privilege and opportunity to raise them, hopefully to teach them of who Christ is and and to send them off into the world as we go. But I'll tell you, when we had our first child, I remember feeling overwhelmed. I had so much to learn. I did not grow up in a Christian home, and I really wasn't even sure what my home should look like. My parents were divorced, and it was not a right home. They were not believers. I also looked as a new believer, and I never understood in Scripture how the children of men praised by God turned out so bad. I would read read about David and Absalom and go, what? I I don't understand that. David, a man after God's own heart. How did Absalom end up how he did? I was blown away coming across a verse as a new believer reading in Judges, and it says, after the conquest of the promised land, we read in Judges 2.10, it says this, and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done in Israel. Isn't that amazing? They didn't know the Lord, but they didn't know the work that God has done. That entire generation failed to teach those kids what had happened. All the miracles of conquest, manna, all that the Lord did. There were even some that probably came from Egypt and remembered it, right? All the miracles that happened. What in the world? And then you look about wanting to be a parent. You go to a Christian bookstore, there's book after book. And then you think, you would think in the scripture there would be at least one chapter or book in the Bible devoted to parenting. I remember thinking, where's all the scripture in regards to it? And I fear sometimes we make parenting way too complex when scripture makes it, keeps things so clear. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6 tonight. But before we look at Ephesians, quickly, we've got to just scroll through. So turn to your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 1. And, and you need to know this. Ephesians is in two parts. In chapters 1 through 3, it gives us the indicatives um, or the doctrine or uh, the, the knowledge of who Christ is, who we are in Christ and what we have in Christ to accomplish the imperatives. And since we have all of this in Christ, this is how we are to live in chapters 4 through 6. So right doctrine in chapters 1 through 3 leads to right living in chapters 4 through 6. But if you look quickly at Ephesians... Starting in chapter 1, look at verse 18. It says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And scroll down to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 say this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Listen, step number one in being a good parent is you need to be in Christ. And if there's anybody here tonight that is not a Christian, not a believer, you need to know that Jesus Christ died on the, sins for you, died on the cross for your sins, and you need to give your life to Christ. You need to be right with the Lord to be able to apply all that we're going to learn in Scripture in these next couple days. Then it says this in Ephesians chapter 3, at the very end, in verse 20. This is why Christ has done all that he's done for us. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly 
beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Listen, we're saved and we are in Christ to display, to display Christ to the world. And you know what? It relates to the way we do each, to each other and the way we work in our family. It keeps going on in Ephesians 4, verse 1. Here's the call now. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. When you are saved and in Christ, the Lord expects us to live a certain way. Scroll down to verse 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful, deceitful scheming. Once you're in Christ, you need to understand and know who Christ is and know the depths of Scripture. You need to understand doctrine is what the Lord calls us to. Then he goes through in, in all throughout Ephesians chapter 4, talking about how we are to live, how we are to be. He talks about uh, just submitting to one another and a number of other things. And it goes on, scroll down to verse 518. It says, and do not get drunk with wine for this is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. So you're now a saved believer who's growing in their doctrine. Now you need to live by the spirit as we parent. So as you parent, are you dependently living on the spirit? And that rolls right into our marriage. And we're going to focus on that a little bit here. But chapter 5 deals with our marriages. If you want to be a, great, a good parent, if I can just encourage you, have a great marriage that honors Christ. Hugely important. Our pastor, Chris Mueller, says this. You want to have great kids? Have a great marriage. I'm not going to say a lot about marriage tonight, but let me say this. Scripture is clear about God's design for marriage. And God, through his word, has made it crystal clear on the roles wives and husbands have. So now look at Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. It says this, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Here's the point. Wives, you are to submit, the scripture says, to your husbands. And, and it says there in that verse, why? Wives, be subject to your husbands, what? As to the, as to the Lord. You are to submit, not because your husband's great, but to display to the world how the church is to be in subjection to Christ. It is an opportunity to display the gospel to the world. And guess who else? Your kids. How you behave in that role is going to speak volumes to your kids. Your marriage, women, is the greatest opportunity you will have to teach your children what you really believe about submission and authority. You're going to call your kids to obey, and yet are you obeying your role as a wife? Husbands, let's look at our role. Ephesians 5.25 says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands also, I'm sorry, so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Listen, husbands, you are to love your wife as what? 
Christ loves the church. What did Christ do for the church? He died for the church. You are to die for your wife every day so that God would receive glory through your marriage. Notice the tender care exhibited there by the husband. Men, you are to model to your kids Christ's love for the church through your love for, for your wife. So before we get to parenting, you must be saved. You must have right doctrine. You must live like Christ. You must live a generally, genuinely dependent lifestyle in the spirit and not in the flesh. And you must have a marriage of submission. All of this is to display Christ to the world and to your kids. Greatest thing you can do is model it for your kids. Because, folks, kids are really smart. If there is hypocrisy in your home, believe me, they see it. Make your marriage great. Get accountability or even counseling if it's needed. Approach with a view uh, to look at yourself and what you need to do and your role. What can I do to make this marriage, marriage great? I'm always amazed as, as we've counseled couples through the years. Every time there's marriage issues, it always boils down to one thing. The, difference, the, the issues are always unique, but it always boils down to whenever there's conflict in a marriage, you sit those two, that couple down, you say to the wife, what's going on? What does she tend to do? Complain about who? Him, right? Everything out of her mouth is this is what he's doing wrong, this is what she, he's doing, da 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 You ask him, what's the problem in your marriage? Well, she does this, she does that. They might as well be a six-year-old and a five-year-old, right? All they're doing is talking about their problems. And if you would just in your marriage focus on yourself and the way, the way you stand before the Lord and stop looking at your spouse and deal with yourself before God, confess sin, apologize for wrong things you've done. It's remarkable that's when restoration can happen and your marriage can be great. Listen, in a marriage, more, I'm sorry, in parenting, far more is caught than is taught. I mean that. Model a great marriage to your kids. Now we're at Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. Really the, the most defining passage in Scripture on parenting. So we're going to walk through that today. And if you look at the passage, what is the first word you see there? Children, right? We're kind of leaning this towards teenagers, I, I want to just deal with, does that still apply? Does that end at a certain age? But the word there, techna, children, does not refer particularly to young children, but to all offspring, sons and daughters still under the, their parents' roof or authority. So if they're 18 or 8, if they are under the authority of parents, this verse still applies to them. So as long as children are under your discipline and instruction, this verse does apply to them. So does it apply? The answer is clearly yes. I also realize that there are years in here of parenting habits, some good and unfortunately some bad that are a part of your family. What we're going to look at here tonight is that what are the goals or what are the targets or what is the standard we're shooting for? I realize also there might be a lot to unravel in your family on, in regards to parenting. But before we can begin to unravel, we need to know the goal. And listen, the parenting years of teenagers really are some of the, the hardest um, years that exist. They're some of the most blessed, but they're also some of the most difficult because you're, ne you're no longer dealing with the black and white. You're now, they, they have minds that are starting to think, right? I, I always laugh. Do you ever have an argument or you're having a discussion with one of your teens and they come back with a point and you're kind of like, actually a really good point, right? You, you don't want to let them see that in you, but, but they're smart. They're starting to think, and they're starting to be these rational human beings. And when you're little ones, when you have little ones, it's so black and white, right? Don't touch. 
You spank their hand because they don't touch. You don't do that to a teenager. And you're dealing with teenagers with attitudes and defiance and influences that are in their life that are just way more complex than when they're young. And they're too old to spank. So how do you discipline them in the midst of all of that? So we're going to look at four family commands based out of this in Ephesians chapter 1. So the first imperative family command is verse 1, obedience. Let me read that for you. It says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is the greatest verse for us as parents. It's our big gun, right? When you have little kids particularly, you teach them this at a young age. Children, what? Obey your parents in the Lord. They can all model it. But it still works with teenagers. They might not listen to us, but they have to listen to God. And this is a verse in Scripture that is clearly laid out for them. Hupakao, the word there, obey, literally means to hear under. That is to listen with attentiveness and to respond positively to what is heard. Children are to put themselves under the words and authority of their parents. In the Lord there, it says, refers to the sphere of pleasing the Lord, to obeying parents for the Lord's sake. Children obey their parents as reflective of their obedience to the Lord. The context makes it clear that in the Lord applies to honor as well as to obey, but parents are to be obeyed and honored because to do so is to obey and honor the Lord. So this isn't really even about us. It's about their hearts and they obeying God and who he is. Teens are to obey their parents as if Jesus himself is commanding them. My brother, when he lived with us as a teenager, he had some dumb video game. And we used to watch it. And it was like a middle, 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 not Middle Eastern, middle, it's like in the 16, whatever, with arrows and oil on castles. Medieval, thank you. But he had this game, and he would laugh because you would pick your army, and you'd go to battle against the, whatever, the kingdom with walls, and they had the moat and all that. And he used to think it was so funny because he'd click on the peasants, and all they had were sticks and rakes. And he'd click on the peasants, and they'd go, yes, my lord. And he'd click on the gate to attack, and they'd say, ready, my lord. And they would just march, march up there. And he thought it was so funny, they'd dump oil on them, and they'd all die. But it was an illustration to me that I thought, they are in a game. They had a ruler in my brother Eric, and it wasn't their role to say, what are you, nuts? If we go up there, we're going to die and get killed. They just obeyed. And there is an attitude that children need to have of obedience. That is, their first response should be, this is mom and dad, and I need to obey. Teens are under the authority of their parents. Whatever it is that the parents say, unless it is in direct violation of Scripture, they are to obey. That is in regards to chores, being kind to their siblings, less screen time, not to isolate themselves and put in headphones and sit by themselves in the corner of the room or in the car, having friends over and having them be a part of their home. Whatever it is you talk about with them, the biblical command is clear. They're to obey. It doesn't matter why, but teens tend to obey as long as they agree. They ask why. If it makes sense to them, they will submit. But listen, it's interesting in the teenage, middle school, high school years that we want them to begin to understand the why. So a lot of explaining happens in these years. When they're five, you don't want them to ask why all the time. But when they're 16, you want them to start to understand the why. And it's really important that you take the time um, to do that. And, and, uh, And an illustration of that that I love 
You look at Abraham offering up Isaac, right? The promised son. And God told him to offer up his son Isaac. And I always amazed when I read that story that Abraham, if I was Abraham, I don't think I would have slept all night. I would have delayed in the morning, sitting there going, what is the Lord doing here? But scripture says he got up early in the morning and he went, a three-day journey. And, eight, and he never, never do we see in scripture of him questioning what the Lord was doing. It was complete trust and faith in what the Lord was doing. And that's the way our kids need to be in the midst of high school. That means our goal is that teenagers obey with a heart that is under submission. That's our goal. Hard to hit, isn't it? But that is our goal. I think sometimes parents start thinking that as they, as they are getting older, that teenagers are on their own and they don't need to submit. But I would just challenge you that you need to look at life. Life is all about submission, right? We are called to submit to each other. We're called to submit to authority, whether that's work or government or elders here at the church. We're called to submit. Mutual submission takes place in your marriage. And we are called to submit to the Lord. Life is about submission. It's not this independent, I can do whatever I want. All of life is about submission. We are simply taking our kids from a position of submission to us to primarily submission to Jesus Christ and the Word of God. That is our goal in these years. What do you do if you've been doing this wrong for years? Can you now put a stranglehold on them? I would encourage you, sit down with your teen and admit that you've done it wrong. Apologize. Talk to them about the importance of them submitting to Scripture. Show them what the Word of God says and how important it is for them to understand it. You can still, I I would encourage you to apologize them and go that route. Now listen, in this verse, parents, it says there that children are to obey us. The, The challenge to us as parents is that means that we stand as God's proxy to our kids. Our teens are to obey as if Jesus is personally commanding them. That means that as we command our children, are we doing it as Christ would? Is obedience for us as parents for our convenience or is it for the best of our kids? You think about this. What are ways as parents, and and I want this to be interactive, what are mistakes that parents often make, especially with teenagers, in regards to obedience? How do we fail? Just throw it out there. Hypocritical. Good. What else? Being inconsistent, right? Nothing more frustrating than that to a, to a teenager. What else? Yeah. Really good. One more. Threatening. Really good. Threatening, having a condescending tone, being angry as parents, right? We get angry at them. John had said inconsistent. I I wrote hypocritical. Sometimes we don't have enough rules. Then we all of a sudden have too many rules, and we're all over the map on trying to control them. Not enough freedom sometimes, and then we give them too much freedom. We're we're inconsistent. But listen, while our kids are under our authority, we need to first train them to obey. If they obey us half-heartedly or not at all, how will they one day obey the Lord? We must parent even our teenagers with an expectation of obedience. I love Elizabeth Elliot makes this statement, expect little of your children and you will surely get it. 
Parent with an expectation that your teens are going to obey. Second, parents, guard your words. Be careful what we say. Be careful the commands that we give. Because once you uh, tell your, your child you must do this, they really need to obey, right? Otherwise, it's sin. So be careful and guard your words. Be thoughtful in regards to what you ask them. So use wisdom. So the first imperative family command is obedience. The second there is honor. Look at verses 2 and 3. It says this, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Honor. The right attitude behind the right act of obedience is honor, which means to value highly, to hold in the highest regard and respect. Honor is the worth one ascribes to a person. It's tied back to the Ten Commandments. You know what's amazing about it? Uh, again, remember I was saying I, I'm blown away with it feels like the Scripture doesn't deal with the family a lot. But this one commandment, honor your father and mother, was the, all it was needed in that time for the family to function properly. Isn't it amazing? Because if honor happens, if your children honor you as mom and dad, with that comes obedience, respect, humility, so much that we desire to see out of them. And I personally think this is the biggest thing we deal with as our teenagers. Do they honor you as mom and dad? Part of it, when I look at teenagers, part of it I actually understand, right? When they were growing up, their parents were their superheroes. We could do no wrong. We, could, we had the strength to hold them. We had all this ability in us and could do no wrong. And then when they get to be teenagers, they start to see the frailty in mom and dad. They start to notice the sin that comes out. And we're no longer those superheroes. They see our mistakes and sin. And you know what? They probably start to lose some respect for us. Teenagers, what are examples? Another interactive part. How do we see? Give me examples of teenagers not showing honor. Tone. Slamming doors. You know, isn't it funny? I just wanted to point out. I start saying what our teenagers do, and it's like popcorn coming out, right? When I say us as parents, you guys had to put a little more thought to it, didn't you? But I got it. Slamming doors. What else? Rolling eyes. Body language. Oh, just, right? They're just... The deep sighs. I know. Just their attitude, right? <laughs> Overall, there's so much about them that is not displaying honor. I laugh. As you talk to parents of young kids, you know, you look at them. I love pointing out to parents when, you know, they have like a two-year-old and they've just spent two years doing everything for this child. Bottles, changing diapers, dressing them, feeding them, holding them. Do, they do everything. This child would have died if those parents didn't care for them, Right? And I always love looking at him. I go, remember this time. I just want you to remember how much you've done for this little one because it's 16. You can look at him and say, do you know what I did for you all these years, right? You have the nerve to look at me and have attitude right now. But they do. Lack of honor is a huge issue for most teenagers and probably the biggest issue in your home. So it's a critically important that, it, I'm sorry, it was so critically important that God commanded in the Old Testament. Listen to this. Exodus 21:15 says this. He who strikes his father or mother shall be, do you know, put to death. Isn't that crazy? He who strikes his father or mother will be put to death. And in Leviticus 20, verse 9, 
says this, he who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. Verbal or physical abuse would get the death penalty in Old Testament times. Remarkable. Honor probably was far less of a problem back then, (laughs) right? If I rolled my eyes at mom and dad and that meant they could take me out of the camp and stone me, I'd behave differently. But what kids need to understand, and this is where it's important, we're sitting there going, I get it. They're supposed to obey. They're supposed to honor. But you guys, it's for their best. It's for their best because what's the result? What does verse 2 and 3 tell us? That it may be what? Well with them or well with you and that they will live long. That it will be well with them. That it may be, may be well with you relates to the quality of life and that you may live long on the earth relates to the quantity promised. The original promise was to the Israelites, but Paul's reference to it means it extends to believers today. You know what's amazing about well with you? Tracy and I did youth group for many years, and we did uh, middle school. I always want to call them junior hires, but it's not appropriate to call them junior anymore, I think. Is that a bad word? So they're middle schoolers. But listen, I would always ask them, what do you see? Imagine life. Tell me what life is going to be like in 10 years. And to a student, it's always great. It's always wonderful. They, they just envision life being great, married, kids, great job. You never hear a middle schooler say, you know, I hope to be one of those guys holding a cardboard sign on the freeway, you know, homeless and looking for money. Or I hope to be divorced a couple times and this and that. They want a, a good life ahead of them. You know what's amazing about this? Here's a promise in Scripture for them. You obey and honor your mom and dad, and it will be well with you. And it's an incredible lesson to talk to students because let's take the reciprocal. Look at the way you're behaving. When you're being disobedient and dishonoring to mom and dad, take that and plop it into any scenario that you want to have a good life in, right? You want to have a good job one day, young man? Look at the way you're treating your parents. You think it'll be different to your boss one day? But it, that, them learning that obedience, that honoring of people and submission will make a much more potentially good life in the future, right? Life will be well with them if they learn this. It's so simple to students. Honor and obey your mom and dad, and it will be well with you. I know in in Ted Tripp, he tells a story in one of his books that I know you're giving away. He was climbing a fence, and he was disobeying a trespassing thing, and his brother Paul just turned to him and said, you don't want to live long, do you, right? Because it was seared in his mind, when you disobey, you could die, right? But the point is, um, just they, they want life to go well, they need to obey. Live long does refer to a length of time, but it's like a proverb. It's not always guaranteed, but general, genuine, generally true. So we have obedience, we have honor. The third command there, now it's starting to speak as us as parents, is do not provoke. Let me read verse 4. It says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Provoke is to cause someone to become provoked or quite angry, to cause to be provoked or to make angry. This is exasperating your children. Listen, we as parents need to expect obedience, but we need to be careful in wielding an unbiblical authority that exasperates our kids. Provoking, get this, this is really important, is different for all of us and different for every one of your children. So you might have one teenager that you talk to a certain way and they respond and your second one 
flies off the handle. And you sit there and we think, what's wrong with them? Well, you might be provoking them. They have a, are wired differently, and it's important to see what is different for, with our kids. It is difficult to discern sometimes between willful disobedience and provoking. But all of these create resentment and an abiding desire for retaliation or vengeance against the parents, which unfortunately often carries over into the child's attitude toward other authority figures and even to God. Listen, too often parents seek advice on their kids. The child is not listening. The child is angry, etc. But I've found a lot of times, often that child is frustrated by his or her parents. And quite honestly, I would be too. I remember I was at youth group one time picking up one of my kids from, from middle school and a dad was there that I knew and we were, we were there a little early, so we were in the back and I said, how are things going? It was myself and this individual and another man. And how things going in life? Well, my son this morning, he made a terrible decision and he was just complaining about his kid, the choice that he made. And his kid was at youth group that night and I watched him come right over to us and, and excited with a smile on his face. Hey, dad, all, the fr- all my friends are going to in and out after youth group tonight. Can I go? And in front of all of us, the man turns to his son and says, are you serious after the way you behave today? You think you should get to go to in and out and I watched the kid's shoulders just slump and walk away. And he went right back to talking to us. And I, there was another man there, so I waited, but I called him afterwards and tried to talk to him, and he didn't want to hear anything. And I thought, man, he just blasted his kids in, in front of other adults, and that poor kid, it, it was a wrong way to treat him. We need to be careful as parents how we do this. How, what are ways that we can provoke our teenagers? We tend to lecture them on and on and on. If you did that to me, I would slunk and roll my eyes and walk away too, right? Don't lecture. We tend to give them guilt trips. I'm always amazed. We, we tend to always, we, we always go to them and our first response is, what were you thinking? As if, what an idiot you are. And yet we were those same kids one day, right? We made mistakes all the time. And yet we look at them as you're the first kid that's ever made this mistake. We might never allow them to have fun, whatever it is. But listen, it's really important, folks, that we study and know what triggers our children. Study and know and make sure you're not doing something that we can parent differently that might not cause them to react. Many times it is their issue, but we need to do all that we can to not exasperate them. Just like the marriage example we had talked about earlier, sometimes we need to apologize about being angry, right? We tend to focus on our kids and their disobedient behavior, but you'd said it, ma'am, in the back. There's times we make mistakes. And when we make mistakes and sin against our kids, we need to apologize to them every bit as well. So imagine, we expect obedience from them. We expect them to apologize. But then when we've sinned against them, we don't do the very same thing. It's hypocrisy to them. Fathers, I would encourage you this too. Christ, it shows us in in, uh, chapter five, is the initiator with us. We need to be the initiator with our wives and we need to be the initiator with our kids. We need to go just like Christ came after each of us. We need to go initiate and make things right with our kids and make sure we're in good standing and talk to them. So that is do not provoke. The fourth imperative family command is bring them up in the discipline of, and instruction of the Lord. Verse four again, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline 
and instruction of the Lord. This is the positive command. Bring up is to raise, to rear, to bring up, to nurture, to raise to maturity. The word is used in 5 verse 29 of a husband's responsibility to nurture his wife. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. So it's a really sweet word here of tenderness to our kids. Is this how your teen would view you as a parent? Tender and nurturing, striving to bring them up. It goes on here, and there's two distinct and different ways that we can do that. Discipline, the first one. The word is padilla. It means to discipline, to train. It is correcting sinful behavior. Discipline carries with it the idea of punishment for the purpose of correcting inappropriate behavior. It is not out of anger, but tender. We are trying to take them from dangerous disobedience, where when they're disobedient, it won't be well with them, and they won't live, will live long, to joyful obedience. It's not about us. It's not about our convenience. It's about the state of our children and the fact that they're in disobedience at this point in time. Too often, parents discipline out of personal anger and inconvenience. We need to help our students, our kids. Sorry, I, I tend to say students because ta- I've taught youth forever. We need to help our kids that um, there's a sowing and reaping principle, right? There's consequences to your actions. Sowing and reaping is all, about, all throughout Scripture. You sow and you reap what you sow. We see that all throughout Scripture. They need to understand there's consequences for their behavior. The goal here is heart change and not behavior change. Heart change is the goal and discipline. Too often, folks, discipline, though, is the primary means of instruction. And I want to just encourage you that discipline and instruction are distinct and different. Discipline should be swift. When your teenager lies, tells you that they were somewhere, and they were really somewhere else, and they get caught, do you think that they don't know what they did was wrong? They know it. And yet, we have a tendency in the midst of that to just begin to lecture. And we use their bad choices as our opportunity to instruct. When we're going to see from Deuteronomy, instruction should be happening all day long. When they disobey, discipline should be different and it should be swift. You establish the biblical violation. You make sure they understand. You administer the appropriate discipline. Instruction is when you talk. Discipline is swift. Listen, if I, um, if, if I, if one of you had ever come and gossiped about me, you said something, that Robert guy, you should have seen what he did. And you tell a lie to a whole group of people. And I find out about it. And I go up to you and say, hey, I, I, I heard that you said this about me. Is that true? And your response is, well, I mean, you know, well sort of, a, no, I, I mean, I did hear it. And then you say, you're right. You know what? I did. I'm really sorry. Well, I understand you're sorry, but do you not understand that how dangerous gossip can be and what that could do to write? I get it, Robert, I understand. I, I'm sorry. No, but you don't understand. And if I were to go on and on and on with any of you, you'd be like, good heavens, leave me alone. And that's what we do to our teenagers, though, all the time. We tend to just constantly overspeak in the midst of discipline. And if you've done your job in instruction, they should know when they're going against and they need to be disciplined, if that makes sense. And the teenage years are different. You know what's unique when they become teenagers? As your kids begin to make professions of faith, you pray that they get saved, and now they've made a profession of faith. 
you can even begin to treat them a little differently. I remember in the teenage years, when one of our kids might have had a bad attitude, we were able to look at them and say, you know what, why don't you go to your room right now and I want you to pray about your attitude because it's not right. And as soon as your attitude is right, you can come out. And then you'd send them to their room and, and it's a great lesson because if they're genuinely saved, they can go before the Lord, seek forgiveness, and they come out with a dramatic heart change. And the job is done. They've taken that to the Lord and fixed it and now they're apologizing to you. If they're not saved, what an opportunity to share the gospel with them, right? Just use that as an opportunity to say, see, this is, this is why you need Christ. Um, but keep the discipline quick. Speak there, or instruction is to teach or instruct. This happens all day long and is different from discipline. Instruction is a compound word. The word is nothesia, from which we get noose, which means mind, and tathemi, which is to put. So it literally means this, to put or to bring to mind, to admonish. It's the idea of correction by word of mouth. Listen, discipline is training by act, where punishment is administered. Instruction, on the other hand, is by word. Colossians 1.28 says this, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Proverbs 1.8 says this, Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Proverbs 4.1 says, Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. And our passage there that everybody should know too is Deuteronomy 6, right? It says there in verse 7, And you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. Listen, instruction should happen all throughout the day. Fathers are to carry out this mandate on behalf of the Lord. Fathers are God's representative in the home. Folks, you, it's so convicting as you watch life, right? I love sports, and I love playing sports with my kids, and I'll spend hours, right, teaching them how to shoot a basket teaching them how to do whatever, and how much time do we devote as parents talking to them about Scripture, talking to them about the things of the Lord. And I'm going to talk a little bit on Sunday. You know what I learned as a parent that was so amazing to me? You know why Scripture doesn't say a whole lot? Because our job as parents is to take the Bible, all that there is, and all the truth in Scripture, and teach our kids. That's it. Instruction happens all day long. You need to be reading with your kids. You need to be talking to them about uh, what's going on in their heart. Talk to them about things they're learning. Moms, read a book with your daughters while they're, they're in high school, in junior high. When your families are, are young, family worship should be a part of your home every single night, every night, and make it the funnest part of the evening. Read with them. I, we found that by doing family worship when our kids were young, it just read, it led to natural conversations with them as they got to get older so that I had the privilege of getting in the car with one of my kids and running an errand and I could just turn to them and say how are you doing and when I'd ask the question how are you doing their response would always be to me not always their response usually to me would be where they're doing spiritually and it was such a joy to lead those conversations and I firmly believe that that happened because when we were young bible reading singing Worship when they're little, act out things with them. 
make it the funnest part of the evening with little ones. And as they begin to grow and mature, you begin to go deeper into God's word with them and you begin to talk. But talking about spiritual things should be a natural flow in your home. We can talk about baseball. We can talk about skiing. We can talk about all of this with our kids all day long. How do you do talking about spiritual things with them? Parents, that is our primary responsibility. That's what they failed at in Judges. They failed to tell those kids about who God was. You know what? The reality is you need to remember that every single day we have souls that are living in our home. Souls. They are on loan to us. Am I right? These are our kids that you look at and go, they're my kids. These are souls that are on loan to us. A good friend of mine and fellow elder at our church says this, Sean Farrell. He says, we need to remember that your kids will stand before God one day and we will not be there with them, right? A lot of times we sit there, there are kids, I feel like I'll be right behind them going, you can do it, son. You can do it, daughter. They are gonna be before the Lord on their own. Our goal is to train them in obedience and honor, not provoking, but but bringing them up in discipline and instruction. Why? Is it to have good kids? It's not. It's to display the gospel to them of a loving and faithful father. Our whole goal in parenting is to display Christ to our kids. That's it. And we pray that they respond to that. We're going to dive into that more tomorrow. But it is also to train them so that one day they would obey and honor God and come out from under our authority. And we teach them scripture because we are taking our authority as parents and the word of God, should we pray, will be their marker and their barometer. And we teach them in these high school years that they are coming out from underneath us and on their own, but they are underneath the word of God first and foremost. And that is so important. And get this, our parenting, our relationship with our kids all throughout Ephesians 5, I'm sorry, all of Ephesians, particularly in chapter 6, we parent and God has given us the privilege to have these children so that we can display to the world Jesus Christ and how we parent and how we treat them and how they respond. It is all to give God the glory. All right, now let me pray and then we have some time for questions. So let me pray. Father, thank you for your word that is so clear. Thank you for Ephesians that is uh, just crystal clear on, um, Lord, our roles in the home. I pray for all those that are here, uh, that they, uh, with the kids that are represented, that, Father, you would build in those hearts um, a desire to obey and honor, not because we're great parents, but because they're growing in their knowledge of you and want to obey mom and dad, because they want to obey you. We pray for the teenagers that are here, that are beginning to spread their wings, that are beginning to um, become men and women. We pray that we would just see hearts in them that desire to obey in those years because they've given their life to Christ and want to obey. Father, be with us as parents. There's so much in here uh, that we fail in, so much in our lives where we fall short. And Lord, we know that, that you're sovereign in the, the aspect of that with our children, and we just pray that um, our kids would be able to come to Christ regardless of our sin, that Lord, even that gives us an opportunity to apologize and model that for our kids as well. We love you, Lord. Thank you for scripture that is clear, and I just pray that we would uh, be able to do this well and honor you. In Christ's name, amen. All right.
Thank you so much, Robert. Thank you so much, Robert. We're going to have um, Tracy come on up now. She's really nervous. <laughs> I, we got a little living room. Oh, there's stairs. There are chairs. Yeah. Can we see okay with the podium? I'll move this. Okay, so thank you so much for setting the foundation. And uh, to cover this is essential, because if he would have just, if you would have just jumped into the fun stuff and all the practical how-tos with the teens and toddlers tomorrow, but you don't know Christ or your marriage is in crumbles, you can get all the practical stuff, but it's just going to undo it, you know, when you have all this unresolved conflict in the home. So can you just kind of go back to that and um, speak to the importance, um, and, and I'll, I'll seed the question a little more. <laughs> you guys have so much fun together. Like, I love seeing Tracy laugh at your jokes and just the atmosphere of your family and all the sports and the, the boat and the just, you make life fun, but that doesn't mean there's not hard times. And just, just the balance of the fun times with the hard times and what that means as far as parenting. Never had that question before. <laughs> I thought, what, what exactly are you asking? So the question is, I mean, <coughs> just balancing. Uh, yeah, the, the importance of the fun times kind of building equity in your family so that when tough times come in your parenting um, that you can work through those. Yeah. I, I was just going to add to that. You can, you can add in a second. But, you know, with we do have fun. Our fun tends to be as a family. Um, we do a lot of things together as a family, which is great. Um, we, we really strove to make um, church, you know, a priority in our home and, and have them love church. And I, I do think that fun, if I could encourage you, taking vacations. I know you guys kind of live in a vacation spot. Um, which is awesome, but, you know, having memories, I think time is more important than gifts, more important than stuff, so being able to have the, you know, the, the time spent with them really does well in, in earning that in years to come, so investing time intentionally with them is hugely important. And I think being lighthearted, mm. I think we're pretty lighthearted, not overdoing things that I think we think things are so important when maybe they're really not Remember that quote we read today by Tim Chalice? Yeah. Saying we tend to get... It. Yeah. Ah, it was... It, the, it. The quote, there's a great article by Tim Challies just recently, and, and his point was, don't get too discouraged by the sin in your kids and don't be too impressed by their good behavior because you might have... You know, we, we, they should sin. They're sinners, right? And we tend to overreact in their sin, and then we take pride in how, when they're behaving well, but they might be pharisaical in their good behavior, right? And that's a scary place to be. And when one of your kids' sin is just blatantly out there, it's actually a good thing. And so the point would be, don't, don't have the highs and lows. Don't get emotional over it. You've got to be steady. You've got to be a rock. Um, don't overreact to them and whatever they say, but, you know, be balanced, I would say. In all and you were really good at being fun. Like, we would do fun things like put them to bed and then wake them up in their pajamas and tell them we're going on jammy rides and just kind of fun surprise things that they know are fun as a family. We did a lot together. He's fun. 
I tend to be more like this, and he's like, let's have fun. And I'm but like, I, I, and I would say this too. I think part of it, you, you give up because of a job, you know, and trying to invest in your kids. I, I have, I don't do things by myself very often, right? When it's, I'm either, if I'm working, if I'm not working, I'm at, at either in the church or I'm either with my family. So do stuff with your kids. Don't, you know, it's hard to have a whole life of individual time and be able to invest and do all the things you need to do too. And laugh a lot. I and mean, we would say laugh a lot. I think it's really fun to watch our son who just got married. Him and his wife play all day long. They play ping pong, then they come in and do something else, then they play something else. And I thought we did play a lot. And it's really fun to see him married doing the same thing. And you guys haven't, I mean, this is the most active community I've ever seen. So I know you, I know, you know how to play, but play with your kids. Mm -hmm. So tonight's focus was a lot on marriage and marriage, with marriage comes conflict. Um, if you blow it in front of the kids, just talk about also working mm -hmm. it out in front of the kids and how that shows the gospel. Try not to blow it in front of the kids. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I mean, I would say get on the same page. I don't. You can talk about working stuff out first. Maybe. Yeah, I, you know, it's really interesting. I, we, by God's grace, we don't fight very often, and the fights that go the same way every time. It's always something over stu something stupid, right? It's never when you look back at what you fight. It's always stupid. It's the attitude behind it, right? So I hurt her feelings. And she responded a certain way. And then we, the frustration builds up. And I find every time I go away, and, and if, it's, if it's like getting, uh, you know, it's getting a little heated, I just need a quick break. I'll go in the other room, and I'll pray. And I'll say, Lord, I know I was sinful, but man, she was wrong in this way, and this way, and this way. <laughs> and and I'll, I'll even, oh, okay, that wasn't right, but I know this. But I'm in my heart focusing on her. And then I'll go back to her and say, Tracy, I am sorry that I did this, but honey, you were really rude in how you said that. And, and then it escalates again, and then I leave, and I go into the other room. And you know what's amazing? Every time it's resolved is when I go into the other room, and I genuinely go before the Lord and say, what did I do wrong? And you know what's amazing about it? Every time I finally come to the realization, I hurt her feelings, I said that harshly, whatever it is, and then I go in the room and genuinely am sad. I ask the Lord for forgiveness. I then go to Tracy and say, honey, I am really sorry. I did this, this, and this. Will you please forgive me? And it's amazing when I'm genuinely repentant that she every time says, well, you know what? I, I thank you for that, and I'm really sorry I did this, this, and this. Everything that I wanted her to, to tell her, she, before the Lord, did the same thing, right? And so you resolve conflict that way, and, and fights tend to go on for days because you don't focus on yourself, you focus on the other person. So it's important to resolve the conflict between the two of you. And John, you hope it doesn't happen often for the, in front of the kids, but it does. Mm -hmm. And they know it. There's tension in the home. And, and my goodness, dads, go to them and say, you're really sorry. Uh, Mom and I have worked it out. But even show, we've, we've fixed it. I apologize. She apologized to me. Isn't the Lord good? You can use it as a tremendous opportunity and even a training for them on how to resolve conflict. So apologize to them. And it's important to be careful not to tear down the other parent. Mm. So if one gives an instruction, like, I don't ever want to think, oh, dad's not doing the right thing. And, and, and I do think that sometimes. <laughs> um, 
But you want to be careful not to say that in front of your kids, right? Like you want to just sit there and talk to your kids and then maybe go in the other room and say, hey, you may not realize what happened today, but this is what happened with her. And so I don't know if that was the right thing. You know, that's, that's a lot better than tearing down your husband when you think you're right about something going on with the child. So I'd say you're always better having some, you know, cue with each other that you need to talk in the other room. And that's okay even to say to your kids, like, hang on, we'll be right back. <laughs> so you don't want to fight in front of your kids, especially if it's disagreeing on what is going on right then with them. Mm -hmm. You can do a lot to tear down the leadership of your husband. A husband can do a lot to strip the wife of any authority, and you really want to protect that. And that's why I say get on the same page. If you're not on the same page, get on the same page. If you're not on the same page, go away and get on the same page. Do anything to get on the same page on parenting with your husband. And you know, uh, sorry, I just wanted to add one thing. You know what's amazing about, we, we talked a little bit about um, wives submitting um, to their husbands. And, and I would just encourage you men that we talk about spiritual leadership. And I can tell you, Tracy and I have had on one hand times where um, she just relented a decision to me and submitted. And it wasn't, wasn't because she disagreed with me. It was because um, she just trusted me to make the decision. I would tell you, if you are a spiritual leader and I am in the spirit and making a decision that I believe is best for our family, if I can't convince her of that, then I'm not being a spiritual leader. So I, and I want her opinion because there's many decisions I make that I'm in sin and I'm being self-centered or I'm being selfish that she might say, are you sure that's right? I want her to challenge me and, and I want her, and that's still even leading in a discussion, leading in, in that spiritual realm. Does that make sense? Get on the same page in all that you do. So, sorry. I was going to say, I've been really blessed by that perspective because I know sometimes if I blow it, Rach will call Tracy and spill the beat, you know, just say everything I'm doing. I'm like, oh, great. I'm going to get chewed out by Tracy now. And that's never happened. I'm always, always on like, your side. Yeah. <laughs> you always take my side. Actually, Even we did have a rule when they got married that she was not allowed to do that unless she got your permission. Right. So thank you for uh, su supporting me uh -huh. even when I'm wrong. You're welcome. I got you. <laughs> um, just maybe one or two more, and then we'll see if you guys have any questions. Um, the... One of the verses talked tonight about fathers do not exasperate your children. And um, you guys have five really different children. Four of them are not even blood-related and different personalities. What maybe off the top of your head is something, a, a time when you really exasperated one of them, and how did you work it out? <laughs> I know mine. I'll get, I, I have one of my kids. I'm a joker i like to tease and i can take it too far right just sometimes i'll try and make a point by kind of ragging on them a little bit um and i can take it where it gets a little personal to them so i know and i didn't need to do that right i could just talk to them about it versus trying to use i'm trying to use humor and for one of my kids they respond wonderfully to that so then i do that with this this one particular and and it just doesn't ever seem to go well and, and yet they respond if I talk to them. They just don't like the humor side of it. So 
And that's one for me. I would say in general that I am an instructor and I want you to understand everything that I want to say. And so I had to learn I don't need to do that. And uh, so I'm sure I've exasperated all of them with my instructions. Still. <laughs> Still. I'll, uh, you know, with Co she's homeschooling our daughter Stephanie in the kitchen, and sometimes I'll hear Tracy talking and talking, and I'll go in and I see Stephanie look at me like, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> but Stephanie needs to obey. I just got a lot to say. That's true. Any questions out there, I can come to you with the mic. Oh, it's a handheld. expound a little more on the word uh, provoke because I feel like there are times when a when authoritative mothering voice has to come through to make sure that they understand that mm -hmm. a line was crossed and that is going to provoke my teenager and I feel I, I'm not sure if you mean by provoke to always be sweet and never tick them mm -hmm. off or if you mean <laughs> okay because I do, I, that line between lecture and having a conversation to make sure they understand is a really thin line. So can you maybe give a little more detail on what you meant by yeah. provoke? Uh, if, if, I, if, if you receive that that means we can't speak authoritatively, I did not mean that at all. Um, many times we need to be authoritative with our kids and, um, you know, and that's an okay thing. What I'm talking about, you know, when you look at that verse, not what I'm talking about, what the Word of God is talking about, it is, it is in an unbiblical manner on our part, right? So if, if I'm, I can, well, I can speak even of... teasing, like you said, yeah, teasing, teasing, teasing. I can they're speak, getting mad. I can speak authoritatively, or I can be violently angry, and, and I, to, where I'm sinful, right? And now we can talk about what is righteous anger or whatever, but usually I'm angry because of the choice they made, and maybe their attitude, that, there's, there's, that you've, you've crossed a line. So if I'm in sin now, I can be provoking them, right? Or if I'm, if I'm doing something in such a way, the teasing is a good example, right? I, I, your kids respond differently. You want to put them in a place that is best for them to obey. And if I'm going to nudge them in areas where they're weak and just keep going and going and going, you, could call, you can now begin to exasperate them. Does that make sense? but you can absolutely speak authoritatively as a parent. Well, the famous line in my house is you're yelling at me, and I always say, let's, let's be clear, I am not yelling, I am using my firm voice, right? <laughs> like, all of them growing up, they say you're yelling. I, mean, I thought, you'll know when I'm yelling. Like, I know how to yell, so. You know, I like the word exasperate, mm -hmm. and you know, maybe you can talk about this a little more, but I've always felt like exasperation has also with it unrealistic expectations mm -hmm. and I can put unrealistic expectations on my children that they're not able to uh, rise to and like you said I mean we had four children and they were all different as night and day and you could deal with one in one way and one in another way but but that unrealistic expectation that just then creates frustration and exasperation because mm -hmm. I can't do what you're expecting of me mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean we don't hold them to high standards, but right. it's understanding. Isn't it amazing on that part? The expectation of Scripture is perfection, 
So none of our kids, none of them are ever going to reach the expectation level of Scripture. Intentionally, they're sinners, right? So if we as parents have an expectation for them to live at a different level, you know, it's like, who are we, God? Because we sin against God every bit as much. That's a great, great point, that exasperating them because we expect such a high level that is unattainable. Guys, when they make mistakes, what an opportunity to just say, I understand. I know, you're a sinner. That's why you need Jesus Christ, right? I, did, I struggled with the same thing. It's okay to talk like that. And I think inconsistency in your parenting is a big way to exasperate your kids. Moving the goalpost of what yeah. they're supposed to be doing and they never know, you know, how they're supposed to behave or you just got to learn to be consistent and not change that because that is hugely exasperating. Uh, I had a question really quick uh, about you guys just adopting. Uh, could you give me like the ranges of ages that you, when you adopted your children, how old they were? Um, we saw them all be born. Okay. So the first one, um, we met through an attorney. She was born in 94. I wanted them really close together, and I became friends with the um, person that ran the adoption agency. We just said we want them really close, and she said that's not going to happen. And then we just prayed, and it happened, and they're 14 months apart. He was a C-section, so he thinks I'm a doctor because I had all the get-up on. He told everybody for a long time. Then we had one. That was a surprise. Then the next one, we met a girl at summer camp, and we had prayed, well, since we had one, Lord, if you want us to adopt, someone will have to walk up and say, will you adopt my baby? Like, that never happens. And she did that. So we adopted that one, and that was a battle through the Court of Appeals for three years, but saw her be born, um, had her, never left our house. She's now 21. And then the last one, they called us and said, we need a family that knows what they're doing. You're not going to have any counseling. We just need you to take this baby and act like you're a friend of the family. And so we adopted her, and that's Stephanie. Saw her be born. So is that kind of what you're asking? Yeah, I was just versus older a little bit of the background and then could you just give like a, a pretty brief blanket statement of just what it's like to adopt kids and any advice on that oh gosh it's the greatest thing ever I, there's nothing like your little adopted kid calling you mom and dad and I remember that's what changed me at one I, I always wanted to adopt which is funny because he's adopted um, but I was the one that wanted to adopt we just figured it'd be the last one and we were around a family and I remember the little girl came up and said, Mom or Dad, can I do this? And I was like, like, it was so real to me. Because she was adopted. Because she was adopted. <clears throat> and it just, we just knew at that point that we wanted to adopt. And what's crazy, when we took the one that I um, delivered home from the hospital, I remember turning around in the car and thinking, I don't know him. Like, it was no different to me than the other kids ever. And even now, if you, I mean, now it's quicker for me to say, but all through their growing up, they're like, which one did you have? And I'd literally go, uh, that one. You just don't think like that. I, I would tell you, too, that, that ado I was adopted. Adoption is the greatest thing you can do in regards to displaying the gospel in your home. And 
you know, it's funny. Sometimes I've talked to men, typically, that are, are thinking about adoption. And, you know, and, and a lot of times I'll get a question, and this, they don't know. And they'll, they'll be struggling with the concept a little bit. And they'll say, you know, I just don't know if I'll love that little one like I would my own. And I always say to them, do you love your wife? Yeah. <laughs> She's not She's your not own. You. And you know what? What a privilege to adopt. Um, it's, it's been the greatest joy of our lives. I mean, I, I look back, and I, we wondered if the Lord was going to even give us kids. She wasn't getting pregnant. And by God's grace, we have five kids. And, and, uh, and just, it's even cooler that the oldest adopted child is the one that has our grandkids. Like, it is, even the grandkids, like, to see that there are grandkids is, like, remarkable all over again. Crazy. By their most difficult legal, or legal process through adoption, um, my, our case got referenced to their case, mm -hmm. which kind of was able to be um, I don't know, make it happen so that we could adopt one of our kids. It's a landmark case in California. That's yep. so cool. And we were saying with Michaela, like, if God would have said, hey, you're going to go through this, we would have said, heck no, right? The greatest thing that ever happened to us. So. Oh. Meaning, like, we picked a child that was having a, a really big issue, or they chose us. That's the girl that said, Will you adopt my baby? And it was a court battle for three years. So, so, we, so it was a we, landmark we, case in California. And now they used it to prove that babies are bonded to their parents. So it was a it was a case that we lost the adoption. We went for guardianship. We lost the guardianship. We appealed guardianship, and it took in the state of California the the uh, precedent court case in California was four years old, if the child was four years old, then they would remain with the ad potential adoptive parents. We, our daughter, when we lost the guardianship, was eight months old. And in our case, in the Court of Appeals, we proved in our case that she was thoroughly bonded to us, and the best interest of the child was to remain with us. The judge ruled against us, and his ruling, it's, it's clearly the best interest of the child is, is what trumps everything, and his ruling was I believe the best interest of Danielle, their da the child, is to remain with the Dodsons, but I believe the rights of the father outweigh the rights of the child, which was bad law. So then it went to the Court of Appeals. The Court of Appeals ruled in our favor, and they published it, which made it a landmark case. So when Michaela and they are trying to do it, their burden of proof was we had to get to eight months, that threshold. Then they could turn to our case and say, at eight months, this child should remain with us because they're thoroughly bonded. So it just took the age from four down to eight months. And it's, it, listen, it's all God. We didn't, I don't know how we, well, <laughs> thank you. I don't know how we afforded it. I don't know how we did it at the time with a job and all of this stuff. And it's just cool that an attorney that is in California all the time, we just talked to her a couple of years ago. She just said, we use that case daily in court. So the Lord is so good that, that it happened. So it was really and fun. Her father was a, um, 18th Street, Street gang, gang member in Los Angeles. And so now they have laws that if you're afraid, you don't have to name the father. But she had named him. And so I can tell you that's the Lord because I'm a chicken. And um, I knew the Lord was going to keep us safe. And 
that little girl is just, you know, the light of our life. And can't imagine not, not having that work out. Well, thank you so much, Robert and Tracy. And uh, it's 8.30, and we've got some little ones next door. And I think there's a lot of families that didn't come tonight because it was going late. So there's probably going to be a lot more people here tomorrow. But um, we're starting at 8.30. Um, we've got a generous family in the church that provided breakfast and refreshments and lunch. So you can get out of the house and not have... Yes, yeah. Yeah, we've got... Um, I. I, I happen to know, depending on your parenting opinions here, that there are 80 donuts. <laughs> so <laughs> that's not the only thing, but just, it's not the only thing, but it's going to make some kids happy. Um, so we, uh, we are recording these, by the way, audio, not visual. So if anyone missed tonight, um, you can let them know that. And if you want to refer back to anything, we are recording these. Um, please send me your questions. Don't forget about those. We'll try to do this at the end of every session and then save a lot of time at the very end. And there's some fun comedians and YouTube like songs and parenting stuff that we had planned for tonight. I skipped some, but we'll do uh, tomorrow. So just there, there'll be some light notes along the way too. So come back. We'll have fun tomorrow and more of this. Good night. Mercy.